0: I am Simone Cipriani, and I am an officer of the United Nations. And I'm Claire Press, and I'm a sustainable fashion journalist. You are listening to the Ethical Fashion Podcast. We can change the world. Last week, we talked with Alexander Julian Gibson, a stylist and creative director who is also a journalist. And it's very beautiful that this week he accepted our invitation to take over as our guest host interviewing Abrima Erwia. Abrima and her business partner Rosario Dozon run the fashion company Studio 189, which is based between Accra, Ghana and New York. I met Abrima exactly in Ghana, right in Accra several years ago. We've been good friends since then. She's been a great friend and a great collaborator of the Ethical Fashion Initiative. And in this conversation with AJ, she talks about the way they make their collections and about doing their last New York fashion show in Accra, Ghana, with everyone from the studio present, which was very special. And they, AJ and the Brima, they talk about the power of fashion to make a difference, which, as you know, is one of my favorite subjects. Let's listen to the interview. Okay, <clears throat>
1: you ready? I was born ready. Amen. <laughs> All right. Hi everyone, I'm your guest host for this episode of the Ethical Fashion Podcast. My name is Alexander Julian Gibson, and I'm a stylist and creative director based in New York. I'm here with Abrima Orwia, who with Rosario Dawson founded the Artisan Produced Social Enterprise Studio 189 in 2013. Hi Abrima, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you? Good. I am so, so happy it's us. Me
2: too. (laughs) I am so psyched about this conversation.
1: Honestly, for those of you that don't know, uh, Brima and I have worked together a few times and I'm just a big, big fan of her, a big, big fan of her brand and a big, big fan of her energy and her being. So I'm really excited to be here with her today. I'm
2: a fan um, of yours too. <laughs> no, really, like I am like, oh, fresh fashion week, kind of tired. But then I remember the conversation was with you and it was for EFI. And I was like, this big smile, it's coming from you guys, like full energy right now.
1: Amazing. Well, I mean, maybe then how about you tell us about I guess how we know each other and how or if you remember like when we first met? Of course I our stories are yeah. different though. Well but I, you can go ahead. I I
2: remember I don't know if this is when we first met, but I remember when you pulled for a shoot you were doing with Panther Ranking and um you were obsessed with this big hat we were making. And in fact we actually <laughs> made that hat in collaboration with the EFI in Haiti. But you mm. were you were like really drawn to this massive straw hat we we're making in Haiti. And you styled this beautiful campaign based off of imagery from Fella, but for Pants King And really a part of this idea of kind of like retelling our narrative and like embracing our past, our future and all the stuff that I kind of believe in. And I remember how jazzed and excited you were when you got into the studio and how like you were so committed to making sure you were showing Studio 189 in its best possible light. And me being the Virgo I am, I was all like, don't mess up my hat. <laughs> and you said, no, don't worry. And it was amazing. And from there, I've seen you flourish and just mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with you. Do so many amazing things.
1: Thank you. Honestly, guys, um, traveling with that the shoot that I did with Padarankin what happened in London. So traveling internationally with that hat was a feat. And I made sure to make sure that it came back in one piece for Breema.
2: But can I touch on that? But actually, this is why mm-hmm. I this is why I like these conversations, why it's really important. You know, like the project that we're doing, which you said we started in 2013, and I guess we'll talk about its genesis probably, but a lot of it is about kind of embracing the work of handmade work and artisans, and particularly women along the supply chain, and drawing connections between those people who make it to so the producers and the consumers and building a system that is somewhat circular. And so it's really important for me that when we're working with someone or teaming up with somebody who's doing work like the type of work that you were doing at the time and that you do in general, that's consumer facing, that, you know, it honors the work of those people that are doing work because I know how much work it takes to get it done. You know, like in this particular collaboration right. we did for fall, winter, 2019, so two years ago, and it was definitely a labor of love. I remember there was, I think there was like a, you know, weather issues in Haiti. And it's like, there was like one day that somebody could go get the hat. Like, it was like all this work to no, get no, just no. like even one hat produced. But, you know, the, the the ultimate result was this gorgeous, massive hat made out of reused dried grass, which is like a typical artisanal, traditional craft, but also a great way to keep using like, raw materials that are coming from the planet. But then, you know, where value is added, but then also it can be kind of seen in this beautiful light and then the consumer can see it and hopefully purchase and there you have it an opportunity to then impact and create value along the supply chain to create work for people so that's particularly why i, I kind of liked that
1: yeah, that moment together absolutely. the f- first moment i found out about you and your brand was i think Lagos fashion week i don't want to say the wrong year but it was a few years ago Lagos fashion week and there was like this energy that I thought that um, Studio 189 brought to Lagos Fashion Week. That was something that was very different. And it, w- it was interesting because how Lagos Fashion Week runs is you, as an editor, you sit for multiple hours watching show after show after show. And I remember when Studio 189 came on, there was a clear like difference in the, in the energy that you guys brought. And I mean, and honestly, the clothing, the, the casting and just everything, the way that everything ran the full creative direction of like the presentation. And I think you could see you know, something that spoke to like highlighting the artisans that made the pieces and that kind of spoke to the heritage of the brand. And that's what kind of drew me to what you guys were doing. And then to you and I did my research. I think, I think maybe, and I even saw you speak at um, New York Fashion Week, like a few months later. And just ever since then, it's just been something that I've been really interested in the, your brand. And its commitment to like storytelling of our history and our heritage. Thank you. I definitely really want to hear about your most recent show because that's something that was that you showed in your within your studio, and you know you highlighted the artisans.
2: Yeah. So last year, I might be getting all my years mixed because 2020 feels like a blip year. But um, <laughs> um, for spring summer 20, where you actually were working, you assisted Mobilogi on that, who styled our, our campaign. We made that collection, we called it Heritage. And I'm actually so grateful that we did that because, you know, we, you never really know what's around door number two and who would have known that, you know, we're in the position where, and now we're most of us are in lockdown or some kind of quarantine situation. And that was like, I feel like the show where we went really big, you know, we had like 63 looks and it was like, mm-hmm. you know, the music was custom and we hand painted the backdrop of, the set to look like the houses in the north of in Burkina and in the north of Ghana. And it was like all of the things, all the elements. And we wanted to really talk about our heritage, you know, and like what we stand for and what we believe in, including the symbols. Like I'm very fascinated by the migration of people and the migration of symbols and the connection between what's happened within Africa and what happens in the States. So I really like geometric shapes and certain symbols. And a lot of them are also Adinkra and different symbols from here. And then when you start to actually look at some of the symbolism that traveled to the U.S. through slavery and through other mechanisms, you actually find a lot of these similar symbols. But I don't think we always talk about the connection between storytelling, you know, even like Anansi in Ghana eventually, I think, morphed into Spider-Man, you know, like things like that that we don't really talk about. But it's important to pay respects to where things come from. Mm -hmm. And so for that particular collection, some of it was about, you know, thinking about what our ancestors left us. So on my mother's side, I'm American from Mississippi, which we were come from slavery on that side. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are these symbols, you know, like the triangle, which means go north for freedom, you know, and then there's like a kind of diamond shape, which was there's a safe house here. It means crossroads. And so there's all these wonderful symbols. And so what we did is we kind of interwove them into the clothing because the message was about like, what message are we leaving for future generations? Because in, the, in these quilts and in these symbols, in this subtle way, people left messages in order to allow other people to have access to freedom and to space to grow and to thrive. And so what are we doing? And so if you look at the collection we did that, again, that you you supported us with, we had also fabrics that we worked on with the EFI, but we have like wovens and all these different fabrics that have been patched together, you know, animal shapes that are very difficult to make that we made with them in Burkina Faso. And so the, we use recycled cotton and all these the organic cotton. But the message was, you know, a lot of it was about preserving water and a lot of it was about community and a lot of it was about symbols like that and kind of subtly talking about them without blatantly talking about them fast forward this, you know, crazy 2020 that we all experienced. Mm-hmm. I remember we were in the summer and it was, you know, kind of the height of the pandemic. It was a very difficult time. And now we have inter, you know, horrible George, I mean, just just horrible moment, right? Like very heavy, very difficult for all of us, very hard to process. And, you know, thinking about this kind of massive civil rights movement that started to bubble, right. And like move to the surface. And, thinking about also the 60s, right? Like the civil rights movement in the United States and also Mm -hmm. Ghana being the first country to gain independence from colonialism in 1957 and the fact that the civil rights movement in the US and the movement against colonialism in Ghana and then ultimately in the rest of Africa are tied, right? Like it was the whole idea that like, I'm not free unless we're all free. And I love the fact that Martin Luther King was in Ghana with Kwame Nkrumah. you know, at the end of this colonial period. And so I was really thinking about like, what is our legacy then? Like, what do we believe in? Mm-hmm. What do we stand for? What are we doing? You know, not just us as a people, but us, you know, I think it's important to also take accountability for your own work and what do you stand for? And so I started thinking a lot about legacy and what is our legacy and what are we working towards? Mm-hmm. What are we leaving behind? And, and a lot of that led us to, you know, some of the conversation around, about celebration and joy and about being grateful and thankful for the things that we have. We've all experienced a lot of loss. It's really been hard here for Rosario, for me, for all of us. And, you know, but we're also grateful that we're still here and that we can get to do these things together. And more than anything, in this particular case, grateful for the artisans, grateful that they stood up, you know, when at the the time when we didn't know if we were going to have to furlough them, fire them, what we were going to do, we would decide to make masks. And they stood with us, you know, and I think about, some of the people that work in our factory in Accra that we started actually, and I think we'll talk a bit about more about like our relationship with the Ethical Fashion Initiative. But we have people who work there that were there when we were running it with them. You know, they've been there for really a long time. And I wonder sometimes like, what is it that makes somebody want to stick with you for seven years? You know, like what is it that makes somebody want to stay with you? It's not just you investing in them. They're also investing in you through the good times and the bad times. And one of those people is Lydia Mensah, who you see in the video. And so we thought I thought it was important that it's not always us talking, but it's also important for other people to be able to tell their own stories in their own words and celebrate their own you know, relationship with the brand. And so, like, honestly, I had no idea what she was going to say. Like, I thought she could she say, like, Irreva is the worst. No, I mean, I'm not. I was like, I don't know. This is this a bad idea? You know, but, like, that's where transparency is very important because you have to hope yeah. that, like, even if it's bad or even if it's good, that, like, you've created a, an environment where people can be safe enough to live their truth, right? And so they they recorded her. They went to her house. They met her family. They spent time with her. And when I watched the video and she said, you know, she pays us every month and she talks about how important it was for her when she found that we were using Kente and how proud she was to be a part of the supply chain and using Kente. I almost cried. Like I was tearing up, seriously tearing up, you know, and yeah. like the idea of, you know, for me, I was thinking in the factory, they're already together, you know, like they're already together. So like, why not instead of this moment where you bring all the clothes outside of the factory let's bring the show to them. Like, let's let them be the yeah. VIPs. Let's, the, let's yeah. let them be the celebrities. And that's what we did. We created an environment that we shot in the factory where they were the VIPs. They sat in front row. They were not working. You know, they were dancing and they were singing and they were supportive and they were clapping. And also they don't usually get to see the entire process, right? Like the clothes get taken away right. and they don't get to see the entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so
1: they' get that shine
2: exactly so it was important for me to let them also be able to see what happens behind the scenes what happens when the clothes leave them and also for the models to see how much work the artisans put in and to kind of bridge the gap between the dialogue on both sides and so that's what we did
1: it's funny because i think last time i was speaking um with the efi and on this podcast we were talking about like how our stories, the stories that we tell through our clothing and through how the clothing is made is a thing that kind of ties together the past and the future. And I think that's something that you've embodied with this collection and with the way that you presented your collection.
2: You know, for Kente, I don't know. I just, I feel like times are changing. The conversation is shifting and people are also taking more notice about what's happening on the continent, you know? And I think that as that continues to happen, it's really important that we kind of are clear about our narrative, you know, like we're clear about yeah. what it is that we do so they don't get like misinterpreted, like
1: misconstrued.
2: Yes. Yeah, I had a call with somebody and they asked me if it was printed kente. I was, oh, printed kente. <laughs> <laughs> printed kente. That was in fact antique kente. No, no, that was real kente, antique kente, most of yeah. it. Some of it was even silk, you know, like, and I think it's important. It's a royal fabric, you know, it's like, it is our luxury. It is there's a lot right. of craftsmanship goes into it. Every color has a meaning. And I think it's something that people need to embrace. And also we don't see a lot of it in people's collections and I wanted to embrace it. And I also wanted to, you know, I had Yapono, who's a kind of popular singer here. He wears kente mm-hmm. like that, you know, like he, he does the dance, you know, like he did it, you know, like, and we use traditional drums, like traditional dancers. And I thought that was really important you know, really, I said, like, to stand in our power, you know, to say, like, this is what Mm -hmm. we do, this is what we're about, this is our culture. And there's a way we can do that where it's also modern and where you can move it into the future, as you said, but at the same time, embrace the tradition, but do it in a way that I think, hopefully, is authentic.
1: I feel like doing the show, being able to do the show in Ghana was a major, I think it was lovely, I think it was amazing, I think it was, like, a great opportunity to be able to do the show there. Could you tell us about maybe that process of producing that there? from casting and even, like, designing the hair and, you know, everything. I think it's something that a lot of people will see and be like, oh, that was beautiful, but don't understand, like, some of the um, setbacks we might have or even just, like, some of the things that might be easier doing it in Ghana, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some things that are easier. There are definitely many things that are not, including the fact that we do not have running water right now. I think our our (laughs) second day, yeah, we haven't had it in months, but we have a water tanker that comes we're lucky that we can do that and and our second day we were about to have a bunch of models here and there was no water and i was like how are they going to flush the toilet like you know I'm like, <laughs> it's not even just about like what water they drink i'm like how are they going to flush the toilet do you want to clean up after 20 models so we had to like urgently get a porta potty outside also because of covid you know like how can you yeah. be covid safe if you have trouble with water you have to have like forethought and think through all these various circumstances and be also patient, you know, realizing that, you know, people are learning, people are also super creative and talented, but also learning the international fashion system at the same time. And you got to get a little bit creative with it. You know, like the dance, we were dancing a lot, no no surprises there, but, uh, (laughs) you know, and it got like,
1: um, a, a staple in a, in a Studio One Eight Nine show,
2: honestly. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> and it got a little messy, you know, and like, and I, and honestly, <laughs> I don't mind. I, I remember the we ha- I had flown in a friend of mine who I've worked with for years. She's a producer, and also she directed it, and she's living in Cameroon right now. And she was at one point trying to keep it all organized and, you know, camera, et cetera. And I was like, i ah, we're going to dance. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and I started pulling up the workers and I, and she knows me and she yeah. knows she can't control it because we're going to dance anyways. Okay. And she's like, just let, let her do whatever she wants. You know, and we just like, right. were dancing like crazy
1: and we threw the kids in. And- that's a part of the DNA. Don't worry about it. That's the really part. I think even when I was saying like one of the things that, I was talking about about how you guys brought different energy is I was saying that like in Nigeria, I felt like, especially at Lagos Fashion, I felt like everybody was taking themselves too seriously and it was just like very like stuffy and then when Studio 189 came, I think you guys had Makosa music playing. I was in my seat like dancing, like the models were walking down the stage I was like, this is definitely a different energy. You see it in the clothes, you see it in the models that were chosen, you see it in the way that everything's presented and I think that is like a standing part of the DNA of Studio 189. Even when you guys showed in Fashion Week. Oh,
2: wait. That was something that
1: they before i mean, new york
2: always 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 we always have performers we always have dancers even the the ending scene um there's this beautiful moment you know the models were trying to be serious models and they were like like this like (laughs) and there was this moment when we had all these drummers and they were playing this i really like folkloric i like i like soulful spiritual something Mm -hmm. happens to me that it gets bigger than me and this music was like i was just like this is really beautiful. And my spirit got touched and I got up and when I got up and started dancing, they all like, they showed their true selves and they all, like, yes. So and they all started dancing and they each went in and they were like their whole, you could feel it, you know? And then we went to get Aggie, one of our Black like, artisans and she jumped in and we were all like, go Aggie, go Aggie. And it was no, like, but it was really from cute. the heart, you know? And you could really feel yeah. that. It was really nice.
1: And, and that, kind of, that kind of thing resonates, and the people who watch it see the collection and, and the people that you're trying to reach feel that, I, I believe. Could you tell us more about? I know you mentioned it earlier about when you guys were working in partnership with the EFI. Could you tell us more about that? Um, I'd love to know about your history with the Ethical Fashion Initiative.
2: Sure. Let's see. They were in Ghana working with the late Kofi Ansa, the late and great Kofi and I discovered the FI through a friend, I think, who was doing some work with them. And they had a call for designers, I think, back in 2013 or 2014 that I responded to and got accepted. And then I think it was like their first program in Ghana. What they were trying to do was kind of which is what they're doing now, but it was, I think, a little bit more nascent you know, connect the dots and help build a local fashion industry, but also build the production at the same time as building the market. And that was really consistent with what I had come back. I like quit my job and had moved back to Ghana. And it was consistent with what I was trying to do, work with marginalized communities. And uh, at the same time, they were setting up a factory in Accra. And so I started working with them and we helped do trainings for factory workers and also worked with incredible consultants to help provide various forms of training and like from mechanics to you know to all kinds of you know very necessary roles to help you know build the supply chain and so that's kind of how we started but what actually ended up happening i think is like i feel like we fell in love <laughs> I, f- I feel like it's a love story you know like you know how sometimes things are the right time for you? You know, like for me, that it was what I was looking for and it was the right relationship at the right time. I don't know, it was, mm-hmm. it was like all the things I loved. And so it was a, It was kind of a match made in ethical heaven, I guess. And yeah, and that was it. You know, Simone uh, Cipriani started it. He's always been really awesome. They used to come out here and we used to do work together and then Chloe and like really the whole team. And for me, it's been a pleasure to see how the F I has like grown and shifted and changed and expanded, you know, and also to more countries. And I don't know, it's been really, really wonderful to watch the growth of EFI.
1: Amazing. Well, I mean, as you guys have both grown, I know one of the things that a lot of African designers sometimes struggle with is like producing in country. How do you feel about that? I know that um, you guys still currently produce in Ghana. And I know that there are sometimes, again, in the same way that we spoke about producing the show there, I know that there's some things that are easier to do in Ghana and there's some things that aren't. Could you tell us about like maybe why you consider it very important to stay producing in Ghana to keep the DNA of the brand there?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, that was always kind of, that was the genesis, right? Like the, the inception was this idea that this, it's like a three part answer here. So like one is mm-hmm. its inception. Like the idea was always that, right? Like that. Why is it that goods coming from, Italy or France or other countries. I had worked with, you know, various European companies were given this level of prestige, you know, and like artisans could, you know, were considered like super, it's not even about money. Like we're working in dignity and considered very, very important and could send their kids to school and live a proper life. And then I would do volunteer work or do other work here in other Congo, et cetera. And people were begging for pennies it's such a weird dynamic. Like why is one person's life more valuable than another person's life? And while I can't solve I'm micro, I can't solve the, the big problem, but I can make a dent, you know, like I can try something. And so for me, a lot of it was creating a value chain and an infrastructure that would allow like for this kind of long-term growth. Right. So like I understood up front that it wasn't going to be a quick win And I was okay with that. So I took like a very slow organic approach. I still take a slow organic approach. And that's like, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, I think that it's important symbolically for people to, you know, like nothing happens quickly, right? Like, and that's a fallacy to believe that even like, if you look at the denim industry in the United States or in the UK, et cetera, it didn't happen overnight. You know, like it took a long time and they have patents and they have all these things to make it so that they could compete with other countries and they could develop their industry, you know? So like, it it can't always be that goods coming from Africa have to be in a position for a quick win. It's not a quick, right? right? Like, and I think what I love about our community is that I feel like we're all dedicated to the long haul, you know, and that's something that I am dedicated to. And so even when it's difficult, because it can get difficult and yes, It can be way easier, (laughs) way easier (laughs) to just, you know, I actually think about it right now. I think about it a lot. I'm in market right now for Fashion Week, you know, and I think about like how much easier it is for me to just like email any vendor anywhere and just say, I need, you know, 500 shirts. And then I I go like this and then it's no longer my problem. But that's not what we have here. (laughs) I know everybody's names. I know their stories. I know when they don't feel well. I know when they're upset. You know, like I'm inside their lives and they're inside my lives. And in the short term, yes, that can become heavy and challenging to have all the, you know, every little aspect of doing something and also expensive. You know, it's easy just to say, I'm giving you $20 for something and I'm closing my eyes and I have no idea what happens after (laughs) that. It's a lot different when you actually understand all the intricacies or at least you try to. But in the long term it's better like in the long term you see people grow in the long term we have you know situations where we have like i don't know a cleaning lady who used to be with us and her daughter works in our factory and you know we see how she's grown and developed and then she goes back to school for engineering we have interns that are at Tufts now you know we have some that are doing you know former interns that are doing their masters at FIT another one is at Tufts you know former assistants at Instagram like people are killing it you know like our production yeah. manager who was one of our first employees You know, she's gone for her master's and has two twins and is married, you know, like, and then you see the cycle continue and you see, because that's, it's kind of each one teach one, right? Like, that's how we grow.
1: Would you say that, like, some of the experiences that you have shared with them, like, with them working with you has enabled them to explore the industry in different avenues?
2: Absolutely. You know, our approach is not necessarily the easiest. I try to do it exactly the way I would do it if I was in the States. I think it's really important because I think if you don't let people try and sometimes fail, then you don't right. you don't understand how to do it right. Like it, you can't do it in theory; you have to do it in practice. You have to know what it feels like to produce line sheets, which we're doing right now, which I'm saying that. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to know what it feels like to have that deadline where the press, you know, needs the assets right now. You know, they can't wait six weeks. You know, you, you right. have to understand the decision making process and or you know what happens when it doesn't make it on time. What happens when you didn't ship on time and the stores now cancel the order and you've lost money, which affects salaries, you know? And so I think that because it's inclusive and because people are really inside the process, yes, I think they, they learn what the fashion industry looks like. I think they take that experience with them and they can go work for somebody else or build their own thing. And I think that's how you build an infrastructure that allows for more people to be able to support it.
1: I think last time on this podcast as well, we were talking about how, how education and experience is some of the things that like hold back the that might sometimes hold back the fashion industry in Africa. And it was funny because I actually had this conversation at an editors meeting in Ghana, um, where we were talking about like how to kind of like kind of supercharge the industry in the African fashion industry by educating people and telling them about like different avenues and different pathways and different like some of the less glamorous parts of being a designer or being in the industry. What do you think you could tell us about like the fashion industry in Ghana specifically?
2: First of all, I think education is fundamental. So that part is like, that's, that's the only thing that someone cannot take from you is education. You know, once you, once you can't unlearn what you know, I think the fashion industry in Ghana is, and also the art industry in Ghana is killing it. I think there are so many incredible talents. They were always here. I think it's growing. I think people are getting a stronger voice I think more space is being created. I think that uh, more infrastructure is being created. I think that there's still a long way to go, but I feel like there's a willingness and an openness. And not just here, I think across the continent, you know, people willing to collaborate and work together. One of the things I started during the pandemic was a group called Made in Africa, like a WhatsApp group for designers because a lot of people were sitting by themselves in their homes. And I just, we thought it'd be a nice way to just at least, you know, do some calls and like check in with each other and see what's going on, you know, and like the willingness and the way people jumped on it. I was like, Oh my God, thank God you did this. This is so great. You know, from Senegal to Ghana to Nigeria, to South Africa, to Uganda, you know, like people need to be connected and people need, to have the opportunity to narrate their own path. And I think it's happening. And I think it's happening in media, in Ghana. I think it's happening with the model industry, with the design industry, you know, with Fashion Weeks, with Glitz, with so many incredible people. But I still think it has a long way to go. You know, like you said, there's a lot of unsexy jobs that need to move to the front so people understand about accounting, legal aspects, contracts, you know, all these different, you know, elements. But I think they're getting there. And I hope we play a small role in helping to build those systems.
1: Do you think that fashion can change the world?
2: <laughs> yes, I no. I mean, fashion absolutely must change the world. People was like, why, why fashion? I mean, listen, fashion impacts everything and everybody. And as long as you wear clothes, like unless we're all gonna move around naked, it does, right. <laughs> you, you affect people. Like I'm not, I don't care about fashion. I'm sorry, unless you're naked, You do that. (laughs) Like you absolutely do, you know? And so like, I think it's important for people to recognize their own power and recognize the role they play in the fashion system throughout the value chain, you know, every decision they make, whether it is, you know, demanding, I need something right here, right now. Like, do you really need it though? Like how urgent is it for you to get this good right now? Or can you wait Sometimes it's urgent. Sometimes it's not. Do you need all those t-shirts? You know, like all these kinds of questions, because people have to also understand this is the part that I think I like to focus on is the human aspect, right? Like, which is why that show yeah. was like that, where you saw Lydia and you saw the different art, some of the artisans, not all of them, but that they're like each, like this, I'm looking at your shirt, you know, like your shirt has all these complicated, your sweatshirt stories behind it. It's the people that stitched your shirt. It's the people that dyed your shirt. It's the people that grew the materials. It's if there's synthetics in that, it's the combination of the cotton and the the polyester. Maybe there's so many different intricacies. It's the label, you know, like inside your shirt, it's the packaging, you know, like, and so I think that there is no way that we can sit outside of it.
1: I think the ethics of fashion is something that should be more of a macro thought process rather than like, market. I think everybody's thinking of just how the things are made, where they're made, but not considering the people that are making them and all the other things that go into like our clothing. And I, and I think that's lovely and amazing that those are the things that you think about when, as you operate your brand.
2: And also the consumer has to understand like their own power, you know, like right. that they're powerful. Like, you know, I think we always look at big brands and expect big brands to solve things. But I think a lot of the conversation also has to be around, you know, like rethinking about like the type of world you want to live in. Is it about capitalism? Is it about social capitalism? Like, what is it that we're trying to accomplish, which is why I like social enterprise. And I like the idea of, you know, creating business with impact in mind. And like you guys say, not charity, just work. But, you know, like I like this idea. And I think that the consumer has to also know that they have power and they have agency. And with their voice and their dollar, they could change the world.
1: Absolutely. Amazing. I think that's a beautiful, like, um, (laughs) soundbite. I think that was a beautiful note for us to um, end on. Um, Abrima, thank you so much for coming on with us and sharing um, about your history of your brand and the work that you guys do. And kind of teaching, at least me, about some of the greater concepts of um, ethical fashion and, and how to run a brand ethically. Aw.
2: Well, I want to say one last thing, too. First of all, I love you. I love you so much. Thank I love that too. we're in 2021, and I'm not even... Are you in New York right now? Are you in Brooklyn?
1: No, I'm in Houston.
2: You're in Houston. <laughs> you're, you're family. I love that you're in Houston. I love that I'm here in Ghana, and that sometimes we're together in Nigeria and Ghana. And the last time I saw Claire, who's incognito, was in Milan before the pandemic. I think, like, right before the pandemic. I Like, mm. literally, like it was that time when Milan was just about to go on lockdown. We saw yeah. each other at fashion week and, you know, we never know what's behind door number two. And, you know, I just want to say, because I really do love you guys. Like with my whole heart, I love Simone. I love Chloe. During the pandemic, Simone wrote me like out of nowhere and was like, "How?" and also when I was going on with BLM and he was like, how are you doing? You know, like, but like a sincere, how are you doing? Like not, mm-hmm like he didn't have to do it, you know, and he always checked in throughout the whole time from his heart and so did his whole team, you know, and like came up with that, you know, hackathon and, you know, all these great projects that kept us busy, you know, when at times were kind of difficult, like emotionally and everything. And I just love the way like this community rallies together and like always checks in for the past, I think we're going on seven or eight years together now, you know, and like, I just love you so much. And I'm glad you invited me on this podcast.
0: Thank you for listening, my friends. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at ethicalfashioninitiative.org and we are on Instagram at ethicalfashion. And don't forget to share the episode with your friends and with colleagues and with anyone you think would benefit from it. We love it when you tell other people, I'm going to say that again. Can you help spread the word and share our story with your friends on social media? Our mission is to work towards sustainable development and create long-term impact in the communities where we operate. Through extensive training and mentorship, we build capacity and enable artisans to produce for the international market. Through this program, workers are empowered and can live themselves out of poverty, not charity, just work.